you have your Bibles, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16. I always thought this was the way these chapters set up with 1 John 3.16. Sounds a lot like John 3.16. But 1 John 3.16 says, Hereby receive we the love of God. In other words, this is how we can know his love. This is how we know he loves us. This, this is how we can understand it, perception, how to understand it, to feel it, to experience it, to receive it. Hereby we perceive the love of God because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So uh, tonight I want to just teach for a little bit on this thought. And we're going to be in 1 John a lot tonight. But the motive is love. The motive is love. Let's pray together for the lesson tonight. Lord, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for your love so great. Everlasting love, you said. And Lord, we just thank you for love that rescued us, changed us. And Lord, tonight we just pray that you'll just let our hearts... Just hear the word, receive it in the good ground, be better, be changed, be more like you. We ask it in Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise tonight. Aren't you thankful for the word? Hallelujah. You can be seated. God bless you. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord. And just uh, Love is the motive, or the motive is love. And... No doubt today, if if you participate, you know, in that, um, in this holiday, you know, there's some people that uh, get very bitter at this time of year. Uh, those single people. <laughs> oh, you got to say it. It's the elephant in the room, man. Is but no, it's it's a holiday. That's all it is. We uh, but. But the cards and the candy and the flowers and the post and all the things. No doubt somewhere tonight there is a very nervous young man at dinner with the love of his life. And before that night's over, he's going to be on one knee. And he's going to be asking for her hand in marriage. And the motive is love. That's what it is. But that's the romantic love. That's the love of relationship and and I'm thankful that uh, I've had my Valentine for 30 years now and uh, it's been wonderful every single time it's, it's great and so we see here that he said we can understand or perceive the love of God because he laid down his life for us the, the motivation for the gift that God has given us is love everything he did stems from that God is love and so anything he does, the motive is love. God gave, when it, like I say, John 3, 16, very similar to this. For God so loved the world that he gave. His motive was the love that he had for us. And, and um, even the Apostle Paul, when he was talking about spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he, he comes to the conclusion in chapter 12 give us some better instruction and and 12 and 31 I think I gave you that if, if I did if you could put that up there on the screen he said as a church the brethren he said we should covet or desire earnestly the best gifts he had been talking about all the gifts of the spirit and how they were great for the body and growth of the body maturity of the body the benefit of the body of the church he said so covet earnestly the best gifts and I'm going to show you a more excellent way, something even greater than these gifts. And he starts the next chapter by saying these things. Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, and I have not charity or love, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. In other words, the motive for what we do is love. It's not for a bigger church. It's not for more money in the church. It's not for more miracles. It's not for reputation. It's not for signs and wonders. That cannot be the motive 
of why we labor for the Lord. Our motive to live for God, become a servant, and then labor for the kingdom, it has to be love or it doesn't profit anything. And Paul was given to great revelations and he had great giftings and uh, great insight and God had really uh, did a tremendous work in his life. But he said, but as great as all of that is, there's a better way. And he began to describe uh, his giftings in part and say, but if I don't have love, it profits me nothing. It, it doesn't matter uh, because, you know, people love, they love miracles. They, they want healings. They want deliverance. They, they want to see those things. But what people really need and what that inner man desires is the love of God. They don't realize that. You could tell people that in the world today, and they would probably say, you're crazy. I don't know what you're talking about. But it's obvious to us by the things they're trying to fill their life with that they're trying to find something that can substitute for the love of God that he has in them. And so we must be the ones who help bring the knowledge of that love to them. The motive must be love. That's the better way. You know, uh, the, the Bible says we, that the just shall live by faith. So we live by faith. But the Bible t- tells me in Ephesians, or yeah, I believe it's Ephesians, says that faith uh, worketh by love. That, that word worketh is uh, the energy. It's the, in other words, it, it says it's made active. So faith is made active by love. Now we do whatsoever we do in word and deed. We do it in the name of the Lord. We do it in faith. But the motive must be love. We walk by faith, so that means love is behind our walk. That's the motive for walking this path that we walk on every day. We walk by faith. Well, faith is energized or it is made active by love. Your walk with God must have love, his kind of love, not romantic love, not that love, but that unconditional love toward people. Uh, the, uh, if So if we live by faith, it means our life uh, is mo- the motive behind this life we live is love and uh, you know, even we talk about the prayer of faith. Well, if it's a prayer of faith, the motive behind that prayer must be love. If we pray for someone with no love, there's no uh, energy in that prayer. You know, sometimes we, we're praying for the miracle instead of praying for the person. And if we're in love with miracles, that, that's, that's nothing. That's nothing. That's our, our loves. The focus is wrong. We're supposed to love people. You know, it, Jesus would see people that he knew were, they were wrong, and it would say, and he beheld them, and he loved them, and he spoke to them. He was always addressing the person, not just the issue. And many times we're so caught up in praying for the miracle that we forget we're actually praying for a person, a brother or a sister. And so uh, if we're praying, say, well, I really hope this person gets out of this wheelchair because everybody will think I'm really something great. Well, and they're probably not going to get up. But when we pray for these people that Jesus died for because that's what he did, he loves us. His motive for providing an opportunity for us to even do that was love. And so I want to... Talk to us about that tonight, that everything we do, this motive, this life, on this day that people are celebrating their love for one another or different things, well, then we must understand that in this walk with God, in this life we live, our motive must be love. Yeah, yeah. Now, so John wrote, we perceive the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And that doesn't mean that we're going to go and be crucified for somebody because we are not the savior of the world. Our blood is not going to save anybody. That's not it. But we're supposed to love people the way God loves people. And so we learn that we must lay down our will and our desire and our selfish ways sometimes so that we can work for the betterment of the kingdom. Because when you're dealing with people... You're going to have to, and you're really laboring for people and souls, and that's what we're laboring for. 
We're not trying to get building materials for heaven. We're not trying to get natural resources for heaven. We're trying to get souls saved. And when you start working with people, you're going to realize that you're going to make a sacrifice. It's going to be inconvenient sometimes. It's just, that's just how it's going to be. It's going to uh, uh, aggravate you sometimes. Jesus got aggravated sometimes. You read it in the scripture. He, he was frustrated uh, with people sometimes, but he still did what he was supposed to do because he was motive. His motive was love. His motive wasn't about uh, how many of the, the exact number he could pull in to follow him. It was just about sharing the love that he had for them. And that is what we do when we work for the betterment of the kingdom. In 1 John chapter 4, uh, verse 9, it says, In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, beloved... If God so loved us, if that was his motive, if he loved us that way, we ought also to love one another. Everything that God did, he did it. It was motivated by love. Always. He's always, his uh, motivation toward his people has always been the love he had for them. Uh, let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 7. The Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people for you were the fewest of all people. But then he says, but because the Lord loved you, he was motivated by love and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand, redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. This is what he did with Israel because he loved them. He brought them out. Because he loved them, he redeemed them. Well, guess what? We're redeemed. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We've been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. Uh, Guess what? He did that because he loves us. The motive has always been love. All that God does for us is motivated by his love for us. In the Bible, it tells us three times that we are commanded to love God. It tells us three times that we should love our enemies, four times to love our neighbors, and then 20 times to love each other. So more than six, almost six and two-third times more, it tells us uh, to love one another than it says to love God. I think he's trying to teach us something. And so we have no problem with loving God. That's the easy part. We can't see him. He's not here. We've got no problem with the invisible. Just say, oh, I love you, God. But it's looking across the room where we have problem with the brother that we, or sister that we do see. And so the Lord said, I, I, I'm going to have to drive this point home. Uh, you know, uh, you've got to get it right with each other. Because you're always, all, you're always telling me you and I are right. But I need you right with one another. That's how people know you're my disciples, when they see you love one another. And, and even the scripture would tell us, how can we love God that we can't see when we can't love our brother who we do see? We've got to be able to have that motive of love in everything that we do. That's what we have to have. And then in verse 12, he says, no man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwells in us and his love is perfected in us. It's weird. No man has seen God at any time. Why is, what's that got to do with anything right now? He's talking about love. But I think what he's trying to tell us is that when we get filled with the Holy Ghost, when we have this new birth, now that uh, God is in us, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world, if that same spirit that raised up Jesus dwell in us, once God moves in, to us and we begin to love one another the world will see God no man has seen him at any time it's just like Jesus was the image of the invisible God how did they see God in that day he was manifest in flesh walking on the earth how do they see God today the church the bride 
the body. You and I, born again, filled with his spirit, washed in his blood, loving one another, doing the things we're supposed to do, motivated by love. That's where they're going to see God. That's how this world that's looking for something is going to know where to go. That's how uh, they're going to, when the writer said, we are living epistles seen and read of all men. That's how they know that we love the Lord. And that's how they're going to see what God can do when we tell people, God did this for my life. God loves me and he loves you. And people think we're weird. They're we're strange. Man, these cats, I walked in and they're just like, hey, I love you. And they don't even know me. But it's because we love you in the Lord. I talked to a, a woman called my phone the other day from uh, Canada. And she thought I was, um, and then you guys wouldn't know who it is, but uh, I have a cousin, Franklin Walden, lives way down in South Georgia. And she thought I was Franklin. And I was like, I'm not Franklin. <laughs> but she said, but she was talking to me about uh, some things. And uh, she, but before she got off the phone, she said, I love you in the Lord. <laughs> I was like, God bless. Okay. You know, but that's, you know, that's just how uh, she was looking for somebody to pray for. And somehow she got my number. I don't know how she got my number, but she got it uh, all the way from Canada. Pray for me. Pray for me. We'll pray for you. I love you in the Lord. And that's it. We love people the way Jesus loves people. You know, that's the thing is, is we don't have to uh, spend you know, years with you and getting to know you to say we love you. Because if God loves you, we certainly love you. Because there's something inside us that constrains us to that love. And, and you know, and the thing is, is when you love God, I think that you can get a biblical head knowledge and really learn, study scripture, learn, get all this knowledge in your head, and then learn to love him on an intellectual level. And you can do that in the flesh. But to love him emotionally and spiritually, you got to be born again. Because whatever's flesh is flesh and whatever's spirit is spirit. That's what the Lord told Nicodemus. He said that what is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And flesh will never become spirit and flesh never wants to be spiritual. The flesh wants to be carnal. And we can have a carnal knowledge of scripture because we've read it and memorized it. And we said this is what it says and never know the author of the book. Never know what he can do for our lives. We can believe and not be persuaded. There's people in scripture that said they believed the prophets, but they were not persuaded uh, to, to obey and, and serve the Lord. So First um, John 4 and 13, we keep moving down the line. It says, hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us. Now remember, they're writing this to the church. Because he has given us of his spirit. That's just another scripture that lets us know that the Holy Ghost is for us. That God has given the church his spirit. He's put his spirit in them so that we can uh, dwell in him, him and us. And that people can see the love of God in this world. So anybody that says we don't need the spirit. The church is going to have the spirit. Because God has given us of his spirit. The church is supposed to receive the Spirit of God. And so in verse 14, he went on to say, And we have seen and we do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. In verse 15, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. That's Scripture. That's why Jesus would say in John chapter 7, If anyone believe on me as the Scripture says... Out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. That's why uh, verse 13 tells us he's given us his spirit. Because if we confess that Jesus is the son of God, that's the scripture, then God dwells in us. That river of living water begins to flow out of us. But the Bible tells us that no man can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. You can confess in the flesh. And you can confess in the spirit. It's different. You're, uh, Jesus said there are people who uh, they, with their mouth they honor me, but their heart is far from me. There's been no change. You know when the heart's different when God takes out the stony heart and puts in the heart of flesh. You, you, you become a new creature. You're a spiritual creature. And then 
you can confess that he is your Lord. You know, you can say Jesus Christ is Lord and be part of the scripture where the Lord said, well, why do you call me Lord, but you don't do the things that I say? Because if you love me, he said, the way I know you love me is when you keep my commandments. And so we can confess that with our mouth, but to call him Lord and say he's the Lord of my life, he's the one that leads me, there's got to be a transformation. There's got to be a new birth experience. Uh, we must be born of water and of the Spirit. We must have that spiritual new birth. Now, and that's just it. Uh, there's got to be a change because God wants more than just sincerity. There are a lot of people that are very sincere about wanting to go to heaven. Very sincere about sitting in church and making sure they're there every Sunday and do but not so sincere about changing and transforming. And God wants us to be more than just sincere because you've heard to say, well, you can be sincere and you can be sincerely wrong. And, uh, and so I don't want to be sincere and miss God. I want to uh, serve him in sincerity and truth. I want to I do what's right. I want to walk upright before him. I want to obey the scripture and uh, and be saved according to the word of God. Now, everybody, I, I, I mentioned this when I was preaching just the other day. Before we come to the Lord, it doesn't mean we're if we you know if we're not born again yet, if we haven't experienced new birth, that we're just devils and hellions, and man, we're just a bunch of murderers and thieves and molesters and rapists and things like that. That's you know, but when you're outside the door, you're outside the door. There's ain't one way in the body. He said we're all baptized into one body by one spirit. There's only one way in the body. Jesus said, I'm the door. If you try to come up any other way, you're like a thief and a robber. So you got to go in through the door. You got to enter in the right way. And if we're outside the door, we're just outside the door. That's just where we are. There's no, it doesn't mean that we're lost forever with no hope. We just hadn't crossed the threshold yet. People need to understand what it takes to be saved, that God loved us so much that he made a way for us to be saved. That's why, you know, people were always so close. A lot of people were very close when Jesus was walking the earth to, to um, understanding who he was, but then they would pull back. There was even one guy, they asked him, so what's the greatest commandment? So Jesus told him, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, love your neighbors yourself. Because on these two things hang all the law and prophets. And the scribe said, well, you have rightly said, Master, because to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength is more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And Jesus looked at him and said, you're not far from the kingdom. But close ain't in the kingdom. To get in the kingdom, we must be born again. Except a man be born of water and spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And so close ain't in. I want to get in. I want to be in the kingdom. And so uh, to be in means to be born again. Think about the man in Acts chapter 3, sitting by the gate beautiful. He was lame, so he could not go in the temple. But he could hear the worship. He could hear the sacrifice. He could hear uh, the reading of scrolls. But he could not go in. All he could do was listen without participating in that. Even the eunuch in the desert uh, sitting in his chariot, he was reading from the scroll of Isaiah, but he wasn't in. And when Philip got to him, he said, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I unless someone instructs me, teaches me, shows me? And so Philip was able to start right there and preach Jesus unto him, and he was born again. They found water, baptized him, and he went on his way rejoicing which is a sign of being filled with the Holy Ghost. So uh, he was born again, uh, just like the scripture says, and he entered in. And I would, uh, I, I want to be in. What a privilege it is for you and I to be part of the kingdom. Man, to be born again, to be washed in his blood. What a privilege it is that we can say, that's who I used to be, but now... I am a child of God, and I, and I would rather be in this kingdom making mistakes, slipping, sliding, even falling on my face 
than to be outside of it. Because guess what? Just because you get in don't mean you don't ever mess up. Just because you get in don't mean you won't ever make a mistake. It's, it's going to happen. It happens to the, to the best of us. But in the kingdom, there's grace and mercy and renewal. It's where we can find access to the blood of Jesus, forgiveness, cleansing from unrighteousness. I would rather be in the church struggling with my weaknesses and addictions than to be outside of the church, never experiencing what I could have because of the love of God. I want to make sure that I stay in the kingdom. John went on to write in verse 16 of chapter 4, 1 John. He said, and we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Oh, I love this line. Because as he is, so are we in the world. Now first, let's look at that. We're going to have boldness on the day of judgment. That doesn't mean we're going to be arrogant. And we're just going to go strolling up through there, pushing people out of the way, saying, I've been blood-bought. Get out the way. I'm going in. It's not, it's not that kind. Boldness simply means we're going to have confidence in that day that the plan worked. That his blood did wash away our sins. That he has been our Lord and Savior. That we obeyed the gospel. That we're going to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. That is the boldness. And we have that boldness because we've been just saturated and baptized in the love of God. God is love. And if we dwell in God, uh, then we dwell in love. So uh, we've been just saturated, baptized, covered in that love of God. But then he says... As he is, so are we. Now, many times because Jesus lived long ago and he came, he lived, he died, he resurrected, he ascended. We, we were tempted to read this as saying, because as he was, so are we. But he said, no, it's because as he is, so are we in this world. Victorious. Yeah. We're, we're victorious in this world. You think about him now. He's victorious over all power. He's exalted over every name. King of kings. Lord of lords. He rules and reigns over all the kingdoms of men. He rules and reigns over every spirit. Every wickedness. Every devil in hell. Every disease. Every power of evil. So as he is now. Jesus is exalted now. He's sitting on that throne. His name is above every name. Everything is under him. Every knee's going by. Listen, as he is right now, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. He gave us power over all the power of the enemy. There's no weapon formed against us that's going to prosper. Friend, when we fall, we're going to rise. He's, get, he's given us getting up power. He's gave us power to overcome, power to get through, power to see miracles, signs, wonders, power to preach the gospel, power to remit sins in his name. Man, he is, as he is right now, that's how we are. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. The church should be now as he is. That's why we want to see heaven on earth. That's why he said, pray it like this. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Things going on in your life, walking on this earth, should be like they are in heaven. We should be laying hands on the sick and see them recovering. Again, not praying for the miracle but praying for the person, praying for the individual because uh, the, the miracle is great, but miracles are not why, just why he came. Miracles are not why he gave his life. He gave his life to save the souls of men. And so uh, when we pray for someone, it's because we should be loving them the way Jesus loved them. That's the motive there. The Bible says, our adversary of the devil goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Not who he can devour, but who he may devour. Now, I love lions in the natural. I love, I think they're the most beautiful creature on the planet Earth. I love lions. I love them. You go in my office, you'll see them everywhere. I've got them everywhere. I love them. But when you just study lions and things like that, they're not really great hunters. They miss more than they catch. If they caught everything they chased, they'd be so fat they couldn't run. 
but you watch a lot of times they, they don't have very much endurance if something's faster than they are they can't run very long they, they have to sneak up sneak attack get them that's why those lions eventually they start looking for the old the infirmed the young or the isolated those that have drifted away from herds and stuff that's why we need the body that's why we need to stay connected to the body because we need to stay close to one another because you get off by yourself, you know, they can start surrounding you. They can pick you off. But uh, I, I've seen videos of some of those herds flipping lions up in the air. Lion, lion picked the wrong one. Uh, come running in there trying to grab one and a, one come running up and just uh, lion doing somersaults to the air. And, uh, yeah, them, them, them mama bulls or wildebeest or whatever they are, slinging lines everywhere but uh, we need to remember that we need the body we need each other we need to stay protected we want to we want to stay close together and so uh, God has a motive for the church and, and, and again that that need for staying close to the body is because we're supposed to love one another and protect one another God has a motive and the motive is love his method is grace his message is truth and his motive is love. Agape love. That's what it is. I'll say his method is grace. His message is truth. And his motive is always love. Um, one definition of agape is this. A deep, constant interest of a perfect being towards an entirely unworthy object. And it's totally unconditional. He's perfect. And he is constantly concerned about us, even though we're unworthy. But he loves us unconditionally. He loves us. And so uh, we can't love God and then not love man. That's because God and man are, are, are two sides of the same coin. God created man in his image. We can't, uh, you know, uh, the scripture says you can't bless God with your mouth and then curse man who was made in his image yes that's not how it works and so um how can we love god that's what in verse 20 of that chapter it says how can you love god uh who you have not seen but you can't love your brother that you have seen how, how does that work how, how can you get in here with your hands lifted up oh i love you lord and i'm praising you and worshiping you and turn around and glare at your brother or sister that's the real stuff, man. That's, that's, that's not the way it's supposed to be in the body. Well, we, we, we're, we've got to work on that. That's what God wants us to work on, to love one another. Let brotherly love continue. That's what he wants. And if we, if we really believe that God loved us unconditionally with all the baggage and stuff that we had, you, you just start taking inventory of who you were when you came to God. And if we really believe that God loved us, then that knowledge should motivate us to live a life of love toward others so we could honor God. We should love people the way he loved us. 2 Corinthians 5 and 14 said, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then all were dead. We were all in the same boat. We all had to have him. And that he died for all, that they which live should not live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. If you're living unto him, you're living unto them. That's it. Jesus said one day there'll be a separation. And you know what that point of separation is going to be? When I was in prison, you didn't come visit me. When I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I thirsty, you didn't give me to drink. You, 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 know, you didn't take care of me. When, when didn't we do that when you didn't do it to the least of these? And so if we're, if we're loving him, then we're loving them. That's just that's how it is. There's no way around that. We cannot be an island unto ourselves, an exclusive club where we're checking people at the door, letting them in. Oh, I think you, yep, you look like you fit the bill. Come on in. Mm -mm. That's not the way it's supposed to be. You know, I'll, I'll, you think how it started when he was on this earth and he died at Calvary. That blood was shed for the whole world. 
And then after he was resurrected, about 50 days later, the spirit was poured out and the church was born. And at that time, it was just the church. But when man got silly, all these denominations started. They started, let's do this, let's do this. Let's change this, let's eliminate that. Let's do, and that's where all these denominations came from. And, and uh, that's, that's not the way it's supposed to be. God gave us two great gifts in this body. And uh, that was that, uh, number one, we could have the gift of the Holy Ghost that will lead us into all truth. But we must have that, uh, the promises unto you, your children, all that are far off. When he said afar off, that meant through time. That didn't just mean a geographical location. He meant through time. And so thousands of years later, that's why we just this past week we've had people filled with the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues, just like they did over 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost. It happens. But then he gave us, and I talked about this a few weeks ago, teachers, the ministry, God. You know, there's, a, there, there's some denominations that they don't encourage their church family to read the epistles. Don't read Acts. Don't read it. We're just going to stay in the Gospels. We'll read some out of Psalms. You know, we'll talk about creation in the beginning and stuff like that. But, but they don't want them reading the epistles. That They were off on that. But, but God, you think... The apostles were part of that fivefold ministry that God gave for the perfecting of the saints to edify the church so that we could all come into the unity of the faith uh, under that perfect measure, the, the fullness of the stature of Christ. And so everything that the apostle Paul or the apostle Peter, those, those men that they wrote, was for our perfection. So you can't do away with those things. You've got, you got to have those. And, and, and uh, you can differ with this or not, but I don't believe there will be a single person that will walk through the gates of heaven that will not have the fingerprints of the ministry on their life in some form or fashion. Somebody had to preach to you. And even if it's you know, a pastor, a pastor is not a dictator. He is not there to, to tell you what kind of car to buy, what color clothes to wear, all, all that kind of nonsense. Uh, he is supposed to teach you, share biblical truth, and try to keep you in the parameters of safety. But he's not there to, to whip you, beat you, kick you, force you. That's dictatorship. That's when people start calling us a cult, when, when we get like that. That's not our job. And let me tell you, if you love people the way God loves people, you know, they're going to see and listen to what you're teaching. But when you're choking them and screaming them, trying to force a pill down their throat, don't nobody want none of that. As soon as they can break free, they're gone. That's not the way God called us to do it. Be kind, be tender-hearted, be gentle, patient, apt to teach. That's the way God wants us to be. That's that's love. That's the, that's the way uh, we do that. And and so and because we are loved unconditionally, we ought to love people unconditionally. We should be able to share with other people, not just other church people. You ever hear, and I hope I'm not being too foolish here, but you know, folks love to make jokes about uh, people from like Alabama marrying their sisters or their cousins and a bunch of inbred people from Alabama, you know, when football season especially, you know, they they start talking that, that kind of garbage, but well, I don't want the church to be inbred. We shouldn't just be all the time resaving each other. But there's people out there that need to hear. And we shouldn't be afraid to talk to people outside these four walls. Because that's uh, where he said, go and preach the gospel to every creature. Go, go into the nation. You're going to be witness unto me unto. You know, all the corners of the earth, you'll be witnesses. And that's why he gave us the Holy Ghost, not so we could just uh, listen to and try to figure out what language each other in the church is talking, you know, that's, uh, that we can just get together on Sundays and talk in tongues together and then go out and eat and, you know, be fine. But, but he's, we're supposed to be about the Father's business, and the Father's business was loving people and saving people and bringing people into the kingdom. 
And so we, we need to be about the Father's business, getting people into the kingdom. But Jesus could just go and sit down at a table, and people didn't like it. But he could sit with, uh, with drunks and prostitutes and thieves and sinners, whatever they were. He could just sit there right there, right in the middle of him and eat and talk to them and love on them because he wasn't worried about it affecting him. Because he knew you, you can't put nothing on me. Look, we, got, we should have enough confidence in our walk with God that I'm not going to backslide if I talk to somebody who's lost. Now, I'm not talking about go hang out in, in bars and clubs and things like that and, and stay in an atmosphere where you're tempted all the time. But on your job, at your school, places like it's all right. You can, you can sit at lunch, the lunch table with them and, 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 and just be friendly, be kind, uh, show them the love of God without even sometimes even bringing your church up. Just be kind to them. Talk to them. Be their friend. Like Brother Green was talking about, if you start with that friendliness, just love them. Let them feel that love. And, and uh, you know, he knew. You know, listen. Somebody that's unsaved has no power to defile you unless you give them that power. They can't hurt your walk unless you give them power to hurt your walk. Be confident in who you are. Born again, blood washed, filled with the Spirit. Live for God and love people. Just love them, help them, help them get what they're looking for. And uh, there's a big difference between, you know, There's a big difference between being friendly and being a friend. We can be friendly without being a friend to the world. Jesus was friendly with a lot of people. But when he started talking about who his friends were, he had a little higher mark. And he said, if you're going to be my friend, he said this in John 15 and 14, you are my friends if you do whatsoever I say if you're going to live this life and, and keep my commandments and, and, and you know, consecrate your life then you're my friends but even if you say I'm not going to do that I'm still going to be friendly to you you know that when people say hey God I'm not going to pray he, his answer is well I'm going to love you anyway and I'm going to be good to you anyway because it's my goodness that leads people to repentance God can't not be who he is, and God is love, and God is good, and God is merciful, and God is kind. Now, he is a God of judgment, and one day that's coming, and there are things that uh, we, don't, we don't want to be on the wrong side of, but right now, in this day, in this hour, God is still extending grace, and mercy, and love, and kindness, and uh, he, can be, uh, he can be friends with those, he's going to be a friend of those that are doing whatever his word says, and he's going to be friendly to everybody. But when you know, and that's the way most Christians want it. We want the friendliness of Jesus, but I don't know if I want to have to meet a certain criteria. I don't know if I have to actually, I got to actually change or do something or follow the scripture or read the Bible or pray. Or do, I don't know if I want to do all that. I just want to go to heaven. But heaven don't just happen. You must be born again. That's the scripture. Well, what a friend we have in Jesus. I'm glad for the, that he's my friend. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. But that's because I have known him. And he's known me. And, and I have obeyed him to my best ability. And I, I love him. I do my best every day to keep the commandments. And, and, uh, and if I fall, then... And I said, God, I'm sorry. And then I get back up and keep going. But, um, but if I just turn around and say, nah, you know you're going to take me to heaven anyway. You just go on. That ain't how it works. You're so friendly, Jesus. You know you're going to take me. Well, I don't want to break his heart. In 2 Corinthians 5 and 20, the apostle wrote, We pray you in Christ's stead. Be you reconciled to God. You know, that's what he's saying there. It's not just prayer, but we pray. We, we're, we're 
talking to you. We're almost like we're, you know, we're, we're instructing you. We're trying to compel you. We're uh, almost to the point of we're begging you because we want you to be reconciled to God. And we're doing that in Christ's stead. That means in, in his place because he's not here. We are the body of Christ. We are the mouthpiece. We are those epistles. And so we're doing that in his place. Now, you start reading how he addressed people in Scripture and then compare it to how we address people. If we're going to you know, pray someone in his place, if we're going to be talking to somebody in place of him, then we need to make sure we're doing it with love and compassion and mercy. It can be instruction. It can be the truth. It can be hard to swallow. But if it's done in love, I mean, look, he, he preached in one place, you know, in John chapter 6, he was preaching, you know, you're going to have to eat the body, you're going to have to drink the blood, and they're like, what? Man, this is too much. And it says, and from that point on, many of his disciples no longer walked with him. They walked off. They went away because they said, I can't handle this. That's, that's just too much. But he still loved them. And so sometimes we need to make sure we, we understand that, Hey, we're, we're not going to always, uh, you know, have people that are just uh, agreeing with what we're saying, but you still got to love them. And so uh, sometimes I think what stops our talking to someone or, or that praying in his Christ's stead is that uh, we don't, we think we're just doing it within ourselves, but we're actually doing this. We're about the Father's business. We're doing what he wants us to do. And so when we think about that, I'm going to do it the way Jesus did it. You've got to line up. Jesus was the kindest person, the most pure person, the holiest person, the most powerful, meek, the greatest benefactor the world's ever known. But he was constantly offending people. People were always upset with him. Everywhere he went, they, they, they misquoted him, they lied on him, they got mad, they misunderstood. They said he was a troublemaker, he was full of the devil, he was a drunkard, he was a rebel. That's what they said about the Lord. So why do we want to hang up our Holy Ghost and backslide just because somebody got offended because we was telling them about the gospel? Don't let their offense beat you up. If they get offended, you wouldn't trying to offend them but if they get offended you know of course make sure you didn't try to offend them some people can't tell when they're being offensive they 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 think they're actually doing the right thing but they mm -mm, but they ain't and they, and they know they they being shady about it and and uh cutting people, and but then they want to say, well, this because that's the way, I, the love of the Lord. No, it ain't the love of the Lord. The love of the Lord ain't going to kill you. It, it's it's going to help you. And and so make sure that you're in the right spirit, you know, but if they get offended because you tell them the truth, well, what you going to do about it? Quit? Come on. That ain't what we do. We don't draw back. Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1 and 23 that the the cross was an offense to both Jew and Gentile. And then in Matthew uh, 15 and 12, when Jesus was teaching a, a parable, his disciples said, don't you know that the Pharisees were offended? And he said, let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. They're both going to fall in the ditch. Well, Lord, it, didn't you come to save people? I did. But if I, they're going to be saved, they're going to be saved on my terms. Not just any way they want to be. I'm going to tell them the truth because that's what I do. I tell them the truth. I am the way. I'm the truth. <laughs> I'm going to tell them the truth. He's a deliverer. I heard, uh, read in uh, Brother Arnold's book, said Jesus is a deliverer. He's not desperate. He, he, the call goes out for all. He, he, he puts that call out to anybody. Um, but just like I said, there were a lot of people that when they heard the call, they said, nope, that's too much for me, and they walked away from him. So we need to make sure that we understand God put the church in the world to have compassion. The Bible says having compassion on some, it makes a difference. Honey, you can come, come to the music. Have compassion on some, making a difference. 
Others saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Some, some of them were going to snatch them out, yank them out, <laughs> drag them out if we have to, I guess. But we're trying to get them out of this kingdom of the enemy, of the world. We're, we're trying to get them into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That's, that's why the church is here. You know, the church is a body, and the body is, a, you know, I've said this before, the body is just like the natural body. It's got so many healing elements in it that the, that's why the body can keep going and, and stay around. And, and mercy and grace and forgiveness is not just stuff we give outside the body. It's stuff we give in the body so that the body continues. But God did call us to, to labor in this world, to reach the lost but I'll tell you what he didn't do. He didn't put us in the world and instruct us to go and try to sanitize society. We don't need any more activists. Because we're not going to stop what's happening in the world. Evil men and seducers will wax worse. That's what the scripture says. Perilous times are coming. That's We know that. Jesus said that because iniquity shall abound, the love of many is going to wax cold. It, it's going to get worse before we get out of here. And you're not going to, you and I, the church, the reason we're not is because we were not designed to fix the world. This world is going to pass away. Heaven and earth is going to pass away. This world is going to end. He didn't call the church to fix the world. He called us to preach the gospel to every creature. So just like it was in the days of Noah, when it's time to go, as many as can be on that ark is going to go. <laughs> he wants us to, to reach the lost, to talk to people, but you know, you're, you're not going to stop the laws they're passing. You know, this world is getting worse and worse, and they're letting the schools teach anything, and, and we're like, well, we need to vote this or do that, and, and we, should. we should. I'm not saying we just sit by, but, but you need to know that we're not going to stop because they're just going to come back with another one and another one. And as the world goes on, the world is going to be more accepting to all these new things, all these new ways, all these new sins that they're creating. The world's just going to accept that. And so we need to be focusing on teaching people about the Savior, getting people into the house of God, telling people about the love of Jesus, be motivated like he was. The motive is love. Why do you do what you do? Because I love the Lord first and I love my neighbor as I love myself. That's the first two commandments and both of them deal with love. That's the motive.